So next week, we start on our series in the book of Acts. And so just like last week, this week, we have a, quote, one-off sermon. And these are always the sermons where people tune out because they're one-offs. They're not part of series. Um, But we are talking today about the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer um, is something to always revisit, especially in the new year. Uh, Whether you're a person that makes uh, resolutions every new year or you're not into that, um, everybody knows that the new year is always a time of renewal, is always a time of, of recommitment. Right, and so we, every year as Christians, we we look back on the last year, and and we and we realize that we didn't we didn't pray, in the way that we wanted to pray, and it's true of everybody. It doesn't matter how advanced your prayer life is. You know that last year wasn't as good as you wanted it to be. And so, visit revisiting the Lord's prayer in the new year is always a helpful thing because it's it's part of re- recommitting. It's, it's, a, it's a prayer in itself because it's saying to God, I want to want to pray. And it's hard. It's tough. The desire is not always there. And so this morning I just want to revisit the Lord's Prayer. I preached on this, um, on the Lord's Prayer in the last new year, around the last new year. Uh, but t- today we'll highlight some different aspects of it than what we did last year. Not that anybody remembers that. Uh, but we'll highlight some different aspects of it. Uh, the simple question we're asking today that I think will offer a little bit of, of help in our, our prayer life in 2017 is what is Christian about Christian prayer? So what, in other words, what, what makes our prayers Christian prayers? And uh, we, read the, we read the whole context of the Lord's Prayer, but we're, we're only going to focus on what precedes the Lord's Prayer today and then two little words, Our Father. Uh, so what's di- what is distinct about Christian prayer? That's the question. And the answer, there, there are multiple answers to this, but three, three things to look at. Christian prayer is to a father. It's on the basis of a son, and it's by the Spirit. Okay, so Christian, Christian prayer is to a father on the basis of a son by a spirit. So first, it's to the father. Now, uh, a, a lot of times when we read or pray the Lord's Prayer which is both meant to be a model for our private prayer life and a a corporate prayer that we do indeed pray together, Um, we forget about that the Lord's Prayer has a context. And the context of the Lord's Prayer is the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's plopped down right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And we read the most immediate context surrounding it just a moment ago. The most immediate context is you'll find in verse 5 and verse 7. Jesus says, When you pray you must not be like the hypocrites in verse 5. And then in verse 7, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the Gentiles. Okay, so in other words, the most immediate context for understanding the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus is presenting the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer in the midst of saying, here are two ways not to pray. Okay, so there's two, there's two ways to not pray. Don't pray like the, the hypocrites or the Gentiles. And then you'll see right before he starts the Lord's Prayer in verse 9, instead... Pray then like this. You see, so he's saying the context of the Lord's Prayer is, you have to understand, is I'm, I'm making a comparison and a contrast. Don't pray like these two. Pray instead like this. Now, the other thing to notice about the immediate context is that he says, when you pray, don't do this. When you pray, don't do this. But when you pray, pray like this. You see, you see he says, when you pray. And the reason he says, when you pray is because everybody prays. This is the first century. 
uh, everybody is religious. There is, there's nobody that's not religious. That's a double negative, but it's true. There's nobody not religious. Uh, everybody is religious in the first century. Uh, everybody prays. The hypocrites pray, the Gentiles pray, and, and the, the followers of Jesus, everybody's praying. And so you see, there's a difference in Christian prayer and non-Christian prayer. Not all prayers are equal. Not all prayer is the same. And Jesus is assuming that. But really, um, this, is, this is true for all of history. Uh, in the late 19th century, right after Darwin's great thesis, uh, uh, big changing, uh, world-changing thesis about evolution, uh, there started to be a trend in modern secular discourse that religion was slowly starting to die out. And one of the famous German philosophers that, pushed, that talked about this was a guy named Nietzsche. You might have heard of him. But in the 20th century, this idea really ramped up that people were becoming less and less religious over time. And by the middle of the 20th century, by the 1950s and 60s, uh, during the different cultural revolutions in that era, it was, it was the academic... Everybody believed it. The academic thesis is we will secularize to the point where there will be no more religion. It might be 100 years from now, 200 years from now. Today, 81%, most recently, uh, kind of average of all the studies, 81% of the people in the world remain religious. Four, four out of every five. You see, four out of every five people still pray. At some point in life, and every single academic worth any salt will say to you today that, we, that everybody was wrong about the secularization, secularization thesis. P- people aren't stopped. Nobody stopped being religious. Um, you know why? Jesus is, it's underlying this whole conversation that Jesus is having because people are religious. You can't stop being religious. Humans are, by nature, religious beings. They have religiosity. Everybody does. It's not about whether you're religious or not. The question is, who are you worshiping? Who are you praying to? And even even the people that check, even if you're one of those, if you're one of the people that check the nun Category no religion on the on the recent census boxes that we've introduced in the past 25 years. E- even these people you see it in, the, in pop culture. Every once in a while, they when they're at their wits end, when you're when you're in the midst of suffering, you th- you throw up that statement. If you're listening, right to to the to the unknown God, as Paul says, or to the big man in the sky, the terrible cliche that you hear in movies all the time. See, everybody turns to prayer at some point in life. And so what Jesus is saying here is there's two ways not to pray and there is a way to pray. There, there's a distinct way that a Christian prays. Now, what, what are, let's talk just for a moment about the two ways not, that he says not to. Um, the first one is, is about the hypocrites from verse uh, 5. And the question that's being posed in this section is where do you pray? You see, the hypocrites, um, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. And what he's saying is this, that hypocrites love to pray in both religious and non-religious spaces. You see, so hypocrites not only love to pray in the synagogue or in the church, uh, but they also love to go stand on the street corner and pray in a non-religious space. Now, this was quite common in the first century. You would see this kind of thing all the time, these very public uh, expressions of piety through through public uh, just coming out in public prayer, uh, and, and so Jesus says instead um, he condemns them by saying instead 
they just want to be seen. They've received their reward. Instead, go and shut the door, put yourself in a closet, and pray there. Right? Now, look, don't overread it. Jesus is not condemning public prayer. This is, a, this is a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to make a point. He's not saying don't pray in public, go lock yourself in a closet. Here's what he's simply saying. This is all the, the whole point he's simply trying to make. Hypocritical prayer, a prayer, uh, a hypocrite who prays is a person who has public prayer but no private prayer life. You see? A hypo- he's saying that a hypocrite is a person who prays in public but has no private prayer life. He's not condemning public prayer. We have to have public prayer. We'll see it in just a second that he says, Our Father. That's a public prayer. But he's saying a hypocrite is a person who has no pr- private prayer life. And we've, we've all been hypocrites. We've all been The second thing he condemns is uh, the, Gentile, the Gentile prayer. Now, all of us are Gentiles by definition. Well, I'm not sure. There might be a... a, a a Jewish person here. Uh, most of us are Gentiles by definition, but the word Gentile here doesn't simply mean ethnic heritage. Gentile is a replacement word for the word pagan. So what he's saying is don't pray like the pagan religious people pray. Now, again, to qualify, pagan is not a word the way we use it today. So a lot of times in the ch- in church discourse, people will be like, he's such a pagan, you know, or whatever, something like that. And that means big sinner or, uh, you know, something like that. But all pagan means here is a non-Jew, somebody who worships in a different religion. In, ter- in other words, typically a polytheist. They believe in multiple gods and they pray to multiple gods. They go to temples throughout the Roman Empire and worship. They might worship Caesar and, um, and other gods. So he says, don't, don't pray like the pagans. Now, what's, what's the issue with how the pagans pray? Did you catch it? Uh, do not be like them. They think they're going to be heard for their many words. Uh, but your father knows what you need. The, you, you guys will, a lot of you that grew up in the church will remember the old way of translating this, the way that it used to be translated, was the, the Gentiles are what? You remember babblers, that they babble. Um, it, and literally, all it says here is that pagan prayer is empty word, in repetition. Another way to translate it is, is anxious words in constant repetition. Right Now, the question is why? What's, what's different about pagan prayer and the prayer that Jesus is about to uh, commend to us? And the, and the difference is simply th- this. He says, the Lord knows what you need. Now, a lot of people have taken that little verse and said, um, see, we don't have to pray because it says that the Lord knows what we need. So if he already knows what I need, then I, I don't need to pray. But that's not what he's saying. He's contrasting it to pagan prayer, and the issue is content. The, the issue is who are the pagans praying to? You see, why do pagans have to keep throwing up empty words? Repetition after repetition, same thing over and over and over again, but they always come back empty. Why? Because the gods that they pray to are completely capricious, you see, they, the gods that the, the poly, a polytheist believes in God, gods that are often at war with one another. They're set against. You can never you can never be sure, right? So as a pagan, you go to the temple every year. You bring the sacrifices. You pay the prices. You bring all the money you're supposed to. You do you do everything that's been commanded of you, and then you say you you throw up empty words because you don't know whether or not the gods are actually ever going to make good on the promise. 
You see? But in contrast, the Lord knows what you need. In other words, he's saying the difference is that the God, this God, the Father that I'm about to tell you to pray for, every single time you, you pray, you're heard, and he, he makes good on his promise. He knows what you need. He's not capricious. He doesn't change. That's the point. So instead, Jesus is saying, there's a contrast, pray then like this. And the pray then like this is our Father. It's our Father. Now, you guys, you guys probably today are not struggling with polytheistic prayer, I would imagine. Most of you are probably not, don't have household gods uh, that are little statuettes or, or whatever, and you're probably not struggling with, with praying to any of them. But, but the question is that Jesus is asking here. The underlying question is, have you forgotten? Uh, do you know with your mind or have you let your heart slip away from the idea that there is particularly Christian foundation for prayer? So, what is it? Jesus invites us here to say, Father. He invites us to say, Father. In, in contrast, look, this is, this is a revolution. This is a prayer revolution. The, the other religions, the religions in the first, they don't offer this. They don't, they don't offer you the opportunity to say, Father. It's, it's a different foundation for prayer than any of the other religions of the world. Now, let me explain that. Uh, the current set, our current economic setting makes makes this very easy to illustrate. Uh, we live in a world that's a, a lot of our interactions, our relationships are built on retail exchange, business exchange, right? So you might divide the entire way you relate to people in the world, in Scotland, in Edinburgh, in the United Kingdom, or wherever you are in the West, especially. Between, between two, two ways. The first way is that you relate to, retail, to people through retail exchange. So, for instance, you go to the store. You went to the store yesterday. Most of you probably went to a store yesterday, and you bought something. And when you buy something, you, have a, you, do, you are indeed in relationship with the person across from you that you exchange goods with. You give them cash money, and they give you something in exchange for it. And you, ha- you have to have the money. You have to give them the money, or you're not going to get what they're what you want, what you want, what they've offered to you. And that is the way most of our relationships in in our lives currently operate. So your relationship, if you're a renter to your landlord, is a retail relationship based off an exchange, based on a contract. It's a business relationship. Your relationship with your bank, with everybody at the bank. Your relationship with your lawyer, if you need a lawyer, uh, lawyer-client relationship. Uh, most of our relationships in the modern world are business-like relationships. They're associated with retail exchanges. You put something in, you get something back. And if you don't put, if you don't put in the inputs, you don't get the output, right? Now, of course, you know that there's another way to relate to people, right? We call it the personal way uh, today. There's the business way and the personal way. And the personal way is a big spectrum of, of, uh, of love. So, you know, on the, on the most like business way of that spectrum, you can think of a student and a teacher. Sometimes te- students and teachers develop a relationship of love where you really do 
learn from a particular teacher in a way that you had never experienced before, right? And that's a very personal relationship. But when you get farther down the spectrum, you have boyfriends and girlfriends, right? And that's a, much, that's a more intimate relationship than student-teacher. But then farther down the spectrum, uh, you ha- what do you have? You have family, right? And family is, is the highest pinnacle, the climax of, that, of, uh, of relationships, family. Here's what Jesus is doing. When Jesus invites you to say, Father, which is not like the pagans pray, what he's saying is, Christian prayer is based on an entirely different foundation than all other prayer. It's based on your status as family member. You see? You, you, don't, you don't come, in other words, you don't come in a business-like relationship. Now, did, now, did you did now did you think of prayer that way? Did you think of prayer in more of a business retail exchange, where you come where you come to a God, and based on your performances, based on your inputs, you're expecting a certain level of output, and, and you're throwing up words and words and words, hoping to get back what you've put in. What Jesus is saying is that's a pagan notion, that's a pagan way of, to pray. In contrast, is there's a distinctively Christian way to pray and the difference is is the foundation the basis the status christians don't pray look he he could have said a number of things he could have said our lord and lord is a common word um throughout uh this whole culture for ruler he could have said our ruler our sovereign our king our creator and all of these would have been true of god all of them would have been true but he doesn't say that he says, what? Our Father. Because the foundation of Christian prayer is family. It's that when you go to pray to Him, you're, you're, you're praying to more than a ruler, more than a master, more than a creator. You're, it's more intimate than that. You're praying to a Father. Uh, you know, we could illustrate it like this. If you have kids... If you have kids, you understand the difference in these foundations and these two ways of praying, right? But my son, Ethan, he's, he's three years old. We haven't gotten to this point yet, but maybe we will someday. I, I hope not. But uh, if, if Ethan becomes the worst kid on the block someday, you know, just the worst of the worst, uh, he becomes a criminal, he leaves the house, he d- totally rebels, I mean, he has a little bit of that spark in him for sure right now. If he, if, if he goes through with it and does all the things he tells us now that he's going to do in life, then there's no telling what might happen. And he runs off and he takes my money and the, the money I don't have. He takes my money and he, he squanders it. And years go by. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting on my porch one day and I look out on the horizon and I see him walking towards towards me, right? What what am I going to do now? In a business like relationship, in a retail relationship, in the relationship that a pagan has to his god, what does he do? He assumes that the, the that the man on the porch, the boss, the master, is going to do what Donald Trump has said to so many: "You're fired. Don't come back to this house." I've, I've let you go. You've squandered my money. You're fired. We are cut off, right? 
but no, what am I, I'm going to put my shoes on and I'm going to run to him. And I, look, I don't care what he did. If you're a parent, you know, you don't care what they do. You don't, it doesn't matter. Now, there are issues to work through, sure, but you will go and you will, you will embrace your son or daughter and you will say, come in, eat with me. Right? Why? Because they are, he, he, Ethan, is blood of my blood. He's flesh of my flesh. You see the transition? There's a status change between a business-like relationship and a father and a son, father and a daughter. It's completely different, right? You see the difference in Christian prayer and pagan prayer? Have you let your mind and heart sink into a place where you pray to a God that's not your family? Or, or is, the, or is, the, is the foundation of your prayer actually you going to him as you would go to a father? That's the question Jesus is asking of us in this contrast. Um, you know, to close this point, and by the way, each point gets shorter and shorter, so be relieved. Um, uh, to close this point, look, if, if Jesus is the revelation of the father, then, look, he said this on behalf of the father, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come, come to me. That's, that's, the, that's the invitation to, to pray, to speak, to communicate. God the Father said it through the prophet Isaiah this way. We read it at the beginning of our call to worship. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy. How? Come buy your wine and milk without money, without price. It's a metaphor, you see. Come and drink from the water he's offering, the water of speaking to him without money. Don't come to him with money. Don't come to him trying to pay. That's not how it works. That's not the foundation. That's not how sons and daughters come to fathers, you see. You, can't, you don't come to him with, an off, with, the, with the offering saying, if I do this, will you listen? That's not how it works. Okay, so... The, that's the first point. The second point, and more briefly, is this. What is the basis then? What is the basis then on which a Christian can come to the Father in prayer? What is the basis for that relationship? And the second thing that's distinct about Christian prayer is that it's, it's in the Son. It's in the Son. Now, you see this especially in one word in our passage. It's all over the New Testament. But in our passage, it's one word, and that's the word, our. So he says, our Father. You see, in other words, Jesus is introducing a corporate dimension to the Lord's to prayer. He's saying, come and pray with me. This is our Father. In other words, what he's saying, look, Matthew, we preached on this not long ago, a few weeks ago, Matthew has already introduced in his, uh, in his gospel that this is the Son. At the baptism, this is the Son and you see what the Son is saying. The Son is saying, pray like this, all of you, our Father. In other words, what's the Son saying? The Son is saying, you are with me when we say Father. He is our Father. I am the Son, and now I'm telling you, you are sons and daughters. You see, the, the only way to call God Father is to be with the Son, with Him. And that's what, he, that's what he's saying when he says the little word, our. Our Father. Um, 
in other words, look, many of you will have recognized this immediately just a moment ago. When I was talking about Ethan running off and becoming a criminal and squandering everything, uh, you know where, you know, I, that's not my illustration. You know whose illustration that is. It's, it's from the Gospels. It's from Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? Um, one of the interesting things about the prodigal son in Luke 15, which is, I, I started to preach on that today, um, I but I just couldn't remember how I'd done it here before, um, is that it's not, it's not just in the prodigal son story that the, prodigal, that the only prodigal is the son. There's also a prodigal father. You see, in, in the first century, it was anathema. It was, it was a total cultural taboo to do all the things that the father does in that story. When the son comes back, everything that the father does, he lifts up his, um, his gown, he runs out to the son. All of things are unbecoming of a Jewish patriarch. The Jew, they would have known that you don't do this. Not to mention the fact that the son in the story goes and eats with pigs. Eating with pigs makes you unclean. Okay? So Jesus is painting a very specific picture. This is an unclean boy. That's, he's a criminal. He squandered all his wealth. He said no to his father. And now it's not just that he's the prodigal, but that the father is the prodigal. Because the father is loving him recklessly. He's running out to him. He's breaking every cultural norm. You see, it's a prodigal love. Now, what's the basis on which you go to the Father, the prodigal God, in prayer? Look, it's, it's that Jesus Christ, this man, the disciples couldn't know it yet, is the pronouncement of God's prodigal love for human beings. You see, it's in this man, this man that's standing there and telling them, you pray with me, as sons and daughters, it's actually in this man that God has come to pronounce his prodigal love for human beings. That he's come to say, I'm coming to rescue you. I'm, I'm pulling up my gown and running out to the hillside for you. And I'm telling you, no matter what you've done, come back and eat from my table. It's in this man. What's the foundation? What's the difference between pagan and Christian prayer? It's not simply that you call God Father, but it's that you call God Father on the basis of God's pronouncement of love in this Son. You see, Jesus went to a cross where he no longer heard the love of the Father, the call, the beckoning of the Father. He, the Father became to him judge so that when you come to prayer, you can say Father. You see, you call God Father only on the basis of the Son. Uh, at the heart of this idea is, is two uh, little terms in theology that we use. One is substitution, and one is union. So, so first, substitution. You can call God Father, and God can rename you son or daughter because the Son died bearing your sins for you. Substitution is simply that Jesus is for you. And, and when you say, Our Father, you're acknowledging Jesus for me, the Son for me, before the Father. You see, And the second idea is not just that Jesus is for you, but Paul tells us that you are in him. And this is the idea of union. That you, in other words, that everything Jesus did is yours when you're united to him. His death is your death. His resurrection is your life. Substitution and union, that's the foundation for which you can say, Father. 
All right, thirdly and finally, and we'll be done. Lastly, Christian prayer is to a father on the basis of the son by the spirit. Now, uh, this idea is not directly in this passage, but um, I'm going to flip, and you can flip there if you want, to Romans 8, just to look at two verses. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16. You know, Romans 8 is the, uh, many people will say, the greatest chapter in the greatest letter in the greatest book ever written. Um, it's, you know, it's most people's, it's a lot of people's favorite chapter. And the central part of, on the spirit and creation is most people's favorite section and, uh, of the best chapter. And in it, he says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to, ba- to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, there's three just brief ideas I'm only going to list because we're out of time. Uh, We're almost out of time here. The first is this. Prayer is by the Spirit. And it says, why? Because you have not received a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of adoption. You see, what Paul's doing here is he's reflecting on the Lord's Prayer. And he's saying, unlike the Gentiles, the pagans, who operate with a spirit of slavery, a heart of slavery before God, you've received adoption, sons and daughters. That's the first thing. You don't approach God as a slave. Yes, he's your master, but it's more. You, approach, you don't approach, you, you approach him as a son or a daughter. The second thing he says is this. Uh, by the Spirit, then, you cry, Abba, Father. Now, look... Th- this is probably a direct reflection on the Lord's Prayer because he's saying when you cry out to God, when you pray out to God, because you have been adopted, the Spirit comes and testifies in your heart, your son or daughter, then it causes you to cry, Abba, Father. Now, look, Abba, Abba is an Aramaic term for Father, but it's not just a term for Father. Father is too precise. It's too uh, proper. Abba is actually the Aramaic word for what all of you know to be dada. If you have little kids, you know the word Abba in Aramaic. It's dada. It's papa. In other words, Abba, you hear it? It's the same thing that our kids do when they're just growing up. They can't do anything but say papa, mama, right? My grandmother, um, who died just this past year, um, she uh, was was called, I only ever knew her as Barbu, Right? Just that too little. Now, her name is Barbara. Her name is Barbara Jean. But uh, my cousin, who was the first um, of, the, of the grandkids, couldn't say it. So she, she always said Barbu growing up. So we all called her Barbu. And many of you have stories like that. You've, you, some of you are named one of these names, right? Um, this is exactly what Abba is. In other words, the Spirit, what he's saying is this. By the power of the Spirit, by the conviction of the Spirit, when you come to pray to the Father in the name of the Son, what's happening is you're coming by the testimony of the Spirit to your spirit or to your heart, to your mind. And he's telling you, you are a child before him. And Look, in other words, he's saying, in the power of the Spirit, you can first take the posture that all of you know, if you've ever worked in creche or if you have children, where the little, my, the little girl comes up to you and does this and says, carry me. I hear it all day. Carry me, carry me, carry me. The Spirit's testimony to your heart is that this is our posture before a father. The pagans don't pray like that. 
it's, it's the posture of absolute dependence. And it's always childlike. You never grow out of it. It's always coming. You see, the Spirit is saying, Paul is saying, you always say, Abba. Now, you don't have to literally say that. The point is, you always come in childlike dependence. Um, in other words, no matter how big and grown up and holy and wise you get, you're always going higher up and deeper in. And when you go higher up and deeper in, to quote Lord of the Rings, you're actually just becoming more like a child before him. The posture of dependence. Right now, we'll just close with, uh, I'm done. Here's what I'll say. Um, all of us probably, most of us, if not all of us, need the prodding and poking of the experience of the Holy Spirit to make us childlike today in 2017 because if we're honest with ourselves we're mechanical and mechanical is not always bad but mechanical need mechanical in prayer needs to be needs to be accompanied by childlike dependence uh that's what we're coming to if we don't have it we're coming and, and we're doing this in order to get it again we have to we go higher up and deeper in to the christian life so that we, we can we can become more like children uh, so we need to be honest with ourselves. And the other thing, the last thing I'll say, um, is that you might, you probably also need to be honest with somebody else, which means uh, deep friendships can really help prayer life when you can actually talk to somebody about where you are in life. Um, that's deep friendship, uh, deep, deep friendship, and it has to be pursued. Uh, that's why we pray our Father. It's the invitation into community prayer, honest prayer. Um, but by the way, uh, I said that was the last thing I'll say. I'll say one more thing. Um, the opposite of babbling, pagan babbling, um, is not eloquence. So it's not contrasting saying many repetitious words with, with eloquence, with being a great, with being a person who can pray great prayers. Instead, the contrast is with childlike dependent prayers. Uh, so more than all this new year, Prayer will change us, did you know that, to make us pray like this. Uh, so higher up and deeper in, just dive right in, and it'll change you. Let's pray. Father, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would restoke our heart, that we might depend in prayer. We call you Father today. We recognize us to be ch- your children, your sons and daughters. And so we, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would make us depend Please, O oh Lord, we ask, make, help us to depend. We want to want to have you. So we ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen.